This is the very first episode we recorded right back near the start of lockdown as podcast practice. Uh, but we decided it was so pleasant to record and hopefully to listen to that it should be upgraded to an official episode. Hello and welcome to Comics Books. I'm Lucy Dancer and for many years I've worked as a producer alongside a number of excellent comedians. I'm also a book obsessive who's always asking friends and strangers alike what they're reading. So, I thought I'd bring my two passions together and find out what do funny people read. My guest today is Jonathan Sayer. Jonathan is the company director of Mischief Theatre for who he writes and performs hilarious comedy shows, including The Play That Goes Wrong and The Comedy About Event Robbery. Starting out at Little Pub Theatre, his company has now had five shows running in the West End, three of them at the same time, and are currently writing their second TV series of The Goes Wrong Show for BBC One. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Lucy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, Quite a cool USP for this podcast. (laughs) It's probably one of the few that's being recorded at the moment where the participants don't need to be socially distancing from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not because we're breaking the rules. That's because we are married to each other and live in the same house or the same flat. So this, excitingly, is how we're spending our quarantine together. Yeah. Just talking about books on a podcast for other people. Mm -hmm. So tell, tell me... How are you? How's your isolation going? I mean, I do know, but not everyone knows. It's going okay. I've been a bit sick. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm now a bit better. Do you think you've had the virus? We're not sure if you've had the virus. Yeah, I think I think it's likely. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've really, I mean, you've you've had to put up with me. I've never felt like like I have done in the last kind of two and a half weeks in my life. I've just felt so incredibly unwell, and even now, I'm really kind of tired and fatigued and. Um, no, it's not been it's not been good, really. But but equally, you know, I'm very lucky because there's lots of people who are feeling much much worse. much worse. And hopefully, you know, through that fairly rough experience, I'll have some kind of antibodies and some level of immunity or something like that. And um, have you done much reading yet? I don't think you have. Well, I've I've not been able to like I've had such a bad headache and I've my whole body's been shaking and. This isn't really what you want in the in the podcast, is it? Just just yeah. me complaining about how sick I am. I think it's important. We have to keep it real right now. People it's want to been, know the truth. It's been hard to read a book, as you will have seen. From I've my, seen, yes. You, know, you can't read and really get into a novel if you're in the fetal position, hacking and shaking. Thank you. That was not too as much they information. Say. Yeah. Before we talk about sort of the main thing, which obviously books and reading, um, let's talk a little bit about comedy and you. So did you always want to, I knew you went to drama school, but did you always want to be a comedy actor? I don't, I don't think I ever wanted to be a comedian. Like, I don't think I ever thought I want to be a stand-up. So I, I kind of got into performing via watching things like Malcolm and Wise, Two Ronnies, Monty Python, and then um, silent comedies, so Chaplin, Keaton. I mean, you, you, you've, you've seen how much Chaplin and Keaton we have. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of the stuff in your shows, sort of, I mean, I won't ruin them for people that haven't seen them, but a lot of the stuff, particularly in the play that goes wrong, the big scenes with things falling over and, and people falling over, you've told me that they hark a lot, sort of Keaton movies. and. So most, most silent movies, they began on stage, either through Music Hall mm-hmm. or Vaudeville. And it's been fun to be part of a group that has brought that work from theatre to screen and then back into a live performance space. That's that's been really rewarding because it is just amazing to make people laugh, but it's amazing to make people gasp and, and the, for, for there to feel like there's a genuine sense of tension in the air. I think that's where a lot of comedy is created. And I think that's why we fell into writing stuff 
about deconstructing theatre and about you know things going wrong and also um because of michael green who wrote the art of course acting which is mm. all kind of about how to be a dreadful actor and the different kind of actors you might encounter in the world of amateur dramatics and he wrote these kind of miniature plays where you know there's there's lots of different things that go awry so i was going to say when i met you and i met you when we were much younger actually before we were a couple you were always very outward facing you you liked to perform and you liked to see theater and you liked music and you let things that were active and proactive and talking to people. So I was pleased when I found out that you enjoyed reading. But has that always been a thing for you as well? Because obviously that's quite a different activity to, to really being so in the moment and, and having people react. Yeah, I think reading has always been really, really important. I think at school I was quite quiet, so I wasn't always outward facing. Is that what you said? Yeah, well, you were, I mean, you were trying to impress me probably. I suppose I can be extrovert, but I'm also... That's quite, the word I wanted, but, but extrovert. I'm also, but I'm also <laughs> quite introverted, particularly when I was younger. And I used to find books a great comfort just because I was quite shy and quite awkward, mm. like most like most kind of young young people are. And I found words and books a, a really useful escape. I also had like brilliant teachers, I think, particularly when I went to sixth form. I had like an amazing English lit teacher. And I think that really made me incredibly passionate about reading. And I used to work at the Palace Theatre in Manchester, front of house. And there used to be a lot of time where you just had, you know, you'd do the bar and you'd, you'd stock up and you'd get all the drinks ready. But then you'd often have quite a bit of time where you could just kind of sit and read. So I think that was really helpful as well. Do you think you'd do that now? Or do you think you'd sort of be fiddling on your phone? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I would say that there was a period of time where I, I read far less. And that was probably about a year ago. For, for around two years, I, I, I did read, but I read far, far less. And I think part of that is just because of work and, and stress and having this kind of compulsion to, you know, feel like if I'm awake enough, then I should be working and doing something rather than just sitting reading a book. So only really relaxing when just like I was totally spaced out and exhausted. But I've, I've tried to um, kind of put the screen away or the mm. phone away. And like when we were on honeymoon, obviously yeah. we took a mountain of books and we read. Yeah, when we went on honeymoon and when we've been on holidays, you've really suddenly become like a voracious reader where I might not see you pick up a book in weeks. Well, I tell you what, I think is a, is, has been a bit of a game changer, actually, is the fact that I've got glasses. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, at, in fact, yeah, all this stuff about, you know, actually just thinking about screen time. I thought I had lost my attention span and I was a bit on the quiet. I was a bit depressed because I was like, oh, I can't read anymore. And I did think, oh, maybe that's because I'm checking my phone too much and I can only look at shiny things now. <laughs> But then I went to the opticians and they just said, yeah, you've got astigmatism, you should wear these. And as soon as I got them, I was like, oh, yeah, I can concentrate now for more than 20 minutes when I read a book. I can just get lost in it again. So that's been really good. Um, your mum's quite a big reader. So mm-hmm. is it her? I don't think I've ever seen your dad pick up a book that was no, my dad, a secret football No, my diaries. dad kind of proudly declares that he hasn't ever read a book, <laughs> which I think isn't true. I think, yeah, I have seen him read, but no, my dad's not a reader. My yeah, no, my mum's always been a big reader, so I think yeah, I mean, I suppose you, you you see your parents do stuff and you imitate when you're young, so yeah, I would definitely she definitely introduced me to reading, um, and then I've always enjoyed subjects at school that are the arts, so you know, drama and and English lit, they were the things that kind of sustained me when I was at school that I used to mm. absolutely love, just always found particularly when you find a book that is just that you really connect with. I think there's I don't think there's a feeling like that because you're entertained but it is so bespoke and personal to you and your imagination and it's probably the only art form that does that 
it's different for every single person and it's being shaped by your mind and your experiences. So, yes, yeah, so it's deeply, deeply personal. But then equally, it feels like like you're being, you know, being given this whole new world by someone else. It's very intimate, isn't it? It's a very intimate yeah, it is. thing to read a book. Do you remember the first time you felt that, that you, that you found a book that really spoke to you? Probably as I got older, like I'd find books that really kind of, we'll get onto it, but particularly when I was kind of 17, 18. There's a book that I've not put in, actually, where I would say the Adrian Mole series. Oh, of course. Is yeah. actually, that, that is, there you go. That's probably the first time that I felt that, that thing that they talk about in History Boys, about a hand reaching out and touching yours. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I felt that. Um, I don't know why I didn't put that in my list. All of the Adrian Mole stories. And I think in the way that, like now a lot of kids have grown up with Harry Potter, so they find those books yeah. really, really special. I feel like I grew up with Adrian Mole. So I remember, you know, reading the age 13 and three quarters diary. First I think that one. was the first one. Yeah. yeah. And kind of... So I didn't read those when I was young because I thought it was like a boy's book. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Like well, Now I mean... that wouldn't matter to me, but I think when I was a teenager, you know. But they were just really important books, you know, because like they, they did just make you feel a little less lonely about kind of the teenager experience and having your first crush that just felt like the love of your life, you know, so I think I think everyone's had their Pandora. And, you know, just the, and just the funny stuff about <laughs> measuring his dick and, <laughs> and having a wet dream and, like, trying to sneak his his um, his bed sheets past his mum and wash them and all that kind of stuff and, and him being kind of really tortured and thinking of himself as a, a kind of serious tortured artist at a young age who should be out there communicating with people. And I think, you know, all 13-year-olds have that, even if they're really shy and timid, have that weird, also kind of strange ego of, being untouchable because you know because you've not really lived or experienced anything yet so yeah those those books were so they, they, i think they were the first books that really did that where you felt like oh wow this is just for me this has been written for me was that the first time you'd kind of read about the warts and all teenage experience yeah i suppose so i mean i can't think of another book that does that i'm sure there is i mean again yeah i mean i i grew up with sort of the judy bloom and jacqueline well i think judy bloom was sort of she wrote forever which was about a I don't know if you read that but I think a lot of girls love that for the first exploration of sex of losing your virginity Mm -hmm. and and that first big all-consuming love was really just different to anything we'd ever read before I think as well it's regional Adrian Mole you know he's he's from Leicester and I think that that kind of I'm from I'm from Manchester I don't really sound like it anymore but I think that really helps, and and again, and, and he's got a working class family, and I think at the time that was again that was really really it just made the book feel more bespoke to, to me and mm. my situations. Obviously, it, it wasn't; it was written for a, a mass audience. It's one of the you know most widely read kind of adolescent books ever. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I can't believe I can't believe when I've been sat here <laughs> wringing my hands, being like, "What book? What book?" I didn't think about the Adrian Mole books. How do you read? I don't think you read on Kindle or anything, do you? How do I read? Yeah, you just read paper, oh, I see. paperback and hardback. I tend to read books. I do audio books now as well. Okay. I particularly got into them just before I got my glasses. Okay. But sometimes I'll I'll have an audio book. What I quite like to do now is have is have a book that I'm reading on the go with an audio book. And I'll have the audio book for when I'm running or when the I'm same book. when I'm travelling. No, no, I tend I I quite I, I've tried to do that, but no cuz I because then the voices in my head are different. Like yeah. they, they don't compute. And then when you listen to the audiobook, it feels a bit alien. And, and when you read, do you read what you find enjoyable? Or do you read to learn? Or do you read to challenge yourself? 
again, it really depends. I think, I think nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll read. Obviously, you read nonfiction to learn, uh-huh. but I, I'll I'll tend to read either something that I'm really interested in and I want to know more about. Um, so, like, I read a lot of medieval history books. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's called Dan Jones. He wrote a book called The Plantagenets, which is a really good book about about the Plantagenet dynasty and and kind of all the different kings. And it starts with Henry the First, and then it goes into the whole civil war between Matilda and Stephen, and then it goes all the way through all the different kings. And then he wrote another one called The Hollow Crown, which is all about kind of Henry the Fifth and mm-hmm. Henry the Sixth. So that's when um, yeah. Henry the Sixth was the only king. I hope, I hope this is right. Henry VI was the only king who was crowned at birth as the king of England and France. Right. And then he he, he lost everything, and that was kind of and that's kind of where Joan of Arc is and all that kind of stuff. Another spoiler. Not really a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so John Ronson was was one of your books that you picked to mm. talk about specifically. Why? I don't know. I, I, I just I just find all of his books fascinating. I mean, you, you'll know this. I've kind of kind of gone through a. I fell into a bit of a John Ronson wormhole mm-hmm. about eight Easy months ago, and I've only just come out of it. I think you started with was it with, with the psychopath test? No, you know what it was. It was I started with the podcast, the Butterfly Effect. Oh yes, that was very good. And that was, and I actually hadn't. I didn't know anything about John Ronson before then. And was just like, that was such an amazing podcast. I love how non-judgmental he is mm. in everything he writes, in every project he does. It's so balanced and there's so much sympathy. But then you do sometimes, sometimes just, just a little indication as as to how he feels in the situation. But it's never imposed and you're always allowed to arrive at your own conclusions. And when he does give his opinion it's almost with a sense of kind of guilt and I, I i just think he's excellent i just think he's excellent and it's so varied and he writes about stuff that is so so important so yeah the first book i read was the psychopath test mm-hmm. and then um many stare at goats publicly shamed so you've been publicly shamed yeah which i found really really useful and i think it's what i found because he's he's obviously quite an anxious bloke um, and I'm fairly anxious. I, I find his I find his books quite calming to read. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's that's been really, like I just think he's great. And the book that I've picked, which is them, I just think it's one. It's a brilliant book. It's so interesting. Which one is them? So he he goes and spends time with different people who are for whatever reason regarded as extremists, and you know it's kind of looking at the divide between the mainstream and them, those who are other who are on the outside and i just think that that book is not only brilliant and funny and fantastically written and just a page turner it is also really important because it was written in 2001 and in a weird way i feel like if people were given that if if everyone had read that i feel like a lot of the world would have been in a different position because i think that that arguably people like Alex Jones are, are are the reason why Trump's president because all those people who are them, yeah, all these people who are separate mm. and feel that they've been mocked and laughed at, they've all kind of banded together and that's what's happened. It's it, it, I can't quite articulate it because I think John Ronson is is is, is smarter than I am um, by a long long way, but it's I just think it's just such an important book. 
I think what's good good about John Ronson in particular, maybe one reason why you got so into him when you were not really reading much other stuff at the time, is that he does so much research, crazy research, like you say, traveling across the world, really. He's a self-confessed, extremely anxious man, and yet seems to do things that make absolutely no sense to a sane person, the situations he puts himself in. But then he makes the books so accessible. Like you say, they're absolute page turners. Well, he's kind of like a social archaeologist, and that he goes on these amazing kind of picaresque, odyssey-like journeys with all these people who are really on the fringes of, of, of life. But he just paints them in with a lot of detail. And no matter how maybe odious what that person does and often what that person represents is he, he just paints them just just with just with with compassion and and i think that's i, th- I just think he's such a good writer we'll move to something a bit lighter mm. when i asked you for some books that that meant a lot to you uh, you gave me The Vicar of Nibbleswick yes which i've never heard of <laughs> it's a short story it's a short story by Roald Dahl um, that he wrote in the 90s, I think. And it's about a vicar, I think the Reverend Tucker, but I might be wrong. I think it's the Reverend Lee, if my... The Reverend Lee. Oh, you've done your research. I did my research, I did. I might not have read it, but I did Wikipedia it. Yes, the Reverend Robert Lee. Yeah, hmm. Robert Lee. So they wrote this book, well, he, Roald Dahl wrote this book, and Quentin Blake illustrated this book, and they gave their rights to the Dyslexia Institute in London. Mm-hmm. And the book is all about a vicar who has a fictional version of dyslexia called Back to Front Dyslexia or something like that. And basically, it means that he says the most important word in the sen- in a sentence, mm-hmm. he will say backwards. Right. So he's a vicar and there's lots of stuff about um, you must not crap in the field. <laughs> you must not crap in the field. You must... Crap on the gravel by the church. <laughs> that's why we put the gravel there for crapping, and obviously that's parking. And um, and um, there's loads of stuff about where, like this old lady drinks a lot of the church wine, and he says, "No, no, no, piss! You must piss." <laughs> and, <laughs> and I read it when I was about, I think when I was about twelve or thirteen, or maybe younger, maybe younger actually, probably like ten or eleven. And I remember I did a book report about it. <laughs> And I said all the naughty words <laughs> when I was in like year four or year five. But it was okay because it was literary. Yeah. Yeah. But I rem- I remember that being a really important book because I remember that is the first time I ever read a book and genuinely like just laughed out loud uh-huh. to myself, just read it and was just in uncontrollable hysterics because it was j- just, just a funny book. This sounds excellent. I can see you reading this book out loud. It's great. It's just a little short story. And it was just before SEO trot. Uh-huh. So... It's weird because it kind of because that because then SEO trot is, is is backwards as well. I, I knew that. There you go. I knew that. But do you remember how the Vicar of Nibbleswick came into your possession? Was it something that you chose for yourself? Was, was I it... just bought everything by Roald Dahl, and I think by that point I'd read all the longer stories and yeah. proper novels. I'd read the kind of fairy tales where they're all kind of slightly macabre and they rhyme and stuff. Oh yeah, the revolt is it the revolting, revolting rhymes? rhymes. I'd, I'd read all them and and then I found this. I found this book. I might have even ordered it in at oh. a time when it was quite rare to do that because I was like, oh, wow, this is a new um, Roald Dahl thing that I haven't read. I know you talked about your English literature teacher at school. Is that where you read To Kill a Mockingbird? Which is... No, I, no. no, I read that 
later. Okay. I read that later, I think. Um, I really love that book because I it was a book where you realise you don't have to be kind of strong and alpha mm-hmm. to, to be brave. You yeah. know, there's another way of being courageous and that is actually to have integrity and to do what feels right and to be sensitive and to be inquisitive and um there's that brilliant line about you don't know someone until you get in their skin and crawl around a bit and i've i've always thought that that particular line has always stuck in my head as like something that you should do as a person was it the first book you read where race was a was a big part of it yeah it probably was yeah i think i think i remember i read it at school and for us it was we'd sort of read a few books by that point I think where we talked a little bit about race but I thought To Kill a Mockingbird was the first one where maybe because it was from a child's point of view and we were about 14 15 by then but I remember it was the first time that we were forced to look at skin color as something that could really direct how your life could could pan out through no fault of your own Mm -hmm. I I read it when I was a little bit older so it it wasn't like a kind of awakening to 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 injustice Mm. I just remember reading it and kind of wanting to be just, I think, I think I, I want to live the rest of my life trying to be as much like Atticus Finch as possible and just, mm. do, you know, doing what is right and not just kind of going with the crowd because it's easy. And yeah, just, just, just be kind, just be kind whenever you can and just see everyone as, I think there's another line about there's just one kind of folks and that's folks or something oh, yeah. like that. And, and I think... Yeah. I think just, yeah, just, just trying to live like that. It's, it's a good book. It's a parable for that. And it's probably one reason, again, why, yeah, I tend to like stuff that where, where, I, where I feel that um, characters are, are compassionate. So a book that you, I have never read this book, but a book that you have talked about consistently as your favourite book for as long as I've known you is John McGregor's If Nobody Speaks of Remarkable Things. What What is it about that book? Um, it's the, the beginning of it. It's brilliant. So... This goes to my sixth form English lit teacher, um, Mike Prowl, who was... Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Thank you. He was just a brilliant teacher. Sometimes we'd just take a break from reading our kind of designated text mm-hmm. and he'd just bring a bit of something in. And he brought in the first five pages, I think, of If Nobody Speaks of Remarkable Things. And it's kind of like a poem or a ballad. It starts with... It, um, if you listen at night, the city, it sings. Also, I can't quite, can't quite remember now, but it's it's the, the first bit of the book is just so lyrical and magic. I then bought the book and just read it. I think I read it a little bit later, actually. Um, read it kind of a year later. So I must have been about 20, I think, when I read it. And it's it's just a really beautiful book. It's not the kind of thing that I would probably naturally gravitate to. It's really... All of it is kind of written almost like a poem. Okay. And it flips between two different voices. A young woman who keeps kind of talking about a bad thing in the past that had happened and other people on this street. And I won't do a spoiler for this because, one, because it has been a while since I read it, but also because it, 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 will, it will ruin it. But the kind of two, the voices all kind of collide and you, you, you find out some of them are linked. And there's this kind of tragic event that happens later in the book. See, I think I'm a bit scared of reading that because I know you like it so much and I'm scared that maybe I, I, I won't. I just think the way he writes is, is just really beautiful. He's written some other books as well, even The Dogs, um, So Many Ways to Begin. 
Reservoir 13 that we might start reading exactly. together this week because we've got two copies of that. Um, but he's just, yeah, it, it's just really beautiful. And the, it's all the way it's laid out on the page mm. is like a poem almost as well because they're, they're almost like little stanzas. Um, and like the, the kind of female voice in the story that's written in the first person, and the rest of it is a kind of narrator that just can see, you know, the man in number 18 mm. and the man in number 27 and the woman in number 36 the funny shaped head and the glasses and, and it's just really good i don't think there is a character with a funny shaped head who lives in number 36 <laughs> but um, your own novel now. but it's, it's just great it's just really really excellent and beautiful um then you chose another book that i haven't read um the siege of krishnapur so i read that at sixth form mm-hmm. and um siege of krishnapur is part of a trilogy of books I think called the Empire Trilogy by J.G. Farrell. By J.G. Farrell, yeah. Mm-hmm. J.G. Farrell. Um, I think he. W- I think all these books and J.G. Farrell would have been much more in the public consciousness, but he died fairly young. I think on a fishing boat or something like that. So there's only. I think he only had like four books or something like that. But he has this trilogy, and they're all about the fall of the British Empire. Right. And they're all just political satires on. Um, just on on how terrible no on how terrible we are really <laughs> and how dreadful we are and how we wrapped up doing all these kind of dreadful things as kind of being in some way noble and heroic and they're just about how how kind of the whole enterprise was was quite rightly always doomed to fail and the um, siege cushion poor is about a garrison. Um, a British garrison in India in Krishnapur that comes under attack, and they they really see themselves as being very lofty, kind of high members of society who are you know kind of Victorians, all about progress mm-hmm. and educating people who not you know, aren't from our lands and all <laughs> this kind of stuff. And they go over there, and they all catch cholera and they starve, and they, they end up in this they end up in this siege. And they have to like lock themselves in the grand banquet hall, and they all just kind of so slow... on, on lockdown. They're all on lockdown, but in a, <laughs> in a different way. And they all start they all start going mad basically. And it's just about kind of you know how so much stuff is artifice, and you know how we're all just the same. But it's it's a really funny book. There's a I remember there's a section where so the collector is kind of the the man who's in charge of everything, and he's a mm. celebrated man because he has all this. He has all this art that he collects and he's a benefactor to all these different kind of groups who all do pointless things. <laughs> and he loves phrenology, which is the study of the shape of your head. Oh. Um, so it's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Okay. But just the idea that like it's a, it's a thing that was particularly popular in Victorian times. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a slightly large, lumpy bit on the side of your head, that might mean that you're... Oh, you're pointing at my head like that. Yeah, it's very lumpy on the side. <laughs> Um, you know that might mean that you're creative, or that might mean that you're prone to lying, or just just all uh-huh. kinds of nonsense. And they end up firing. So they end up firing like his phrenology bust, <laughs> which he was obsessed with, out out of a cannon. And then it's about after that. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was I was leafing through this book earlier because it has been a while since I read it. But the one reason why, in the end, I put it in there was because it's about a society that kind of think they have it all sussed and they've got it all covered. And then they totally out of the blue end up having to lock themselves away and are totally under siege from something that they don't understand, that they can't fathom. And all the things that they've built and made 
it it doesn't help them at all and they all totally degrade themselves and totally debase themselves it's a bit where they're trying to bury their dead mm-hmm. and they're arguing about um who gets to bury the, the they're not saying it because they're too british but they all want to bury the smaller corpses <laughs> because that will require less work and they're all knackered and they haven't eaten and um, so it's a very very funny book and I, I kind of i don't know i kind of chose that book because because of what's happening right now and um, it just it just kind of stuck out in my head that it is about this society that is tested. Your final book that you chose was one you've only read recently, which was, and I think I think you found quite an emotional read. Was Unfollow by Megan Phelps Roper. I did, yeah. So mm-hmm. she is one of the granddaughters of Fred Phelps, who is the founder of the Westboro Baptist Church. So with the Louis Theroux documentary about um, the most hated family in America. You did do three, yeah. Mm. So they're the people that went and picketed the the funerals of soldiers and just picketed everything with horrible signs. Horrible signs. And she was born into that. Right. So from birth, she grew up in this crazy bubble, very cult-like, where all of the Bible had been warped to support this very strange ideology of this strange homophobic man who really only started the church because he was homophobic and there were people in the park having sex. And that was kind of how it started and it grew into this just absolutely crazy abhorrence. Yeah. Um, But she was born into that and she did. And she's very, very bright. Mm -hmm. And she did lots of the kind of PR for the church and kind of all the Twitter. Yeah. She was outward facing. And, um, (laughs) and and she, um, Basically, she leaves the church, mm-hmm. and now what she does is she goes around doing TED Talks and talking to different groups about the importance of compassion. And it's a really, really uplifting book. It's just about, it kind of goes back to the um, the Killer Mockingbird thing about kind of crawling around in people's skin and trying to get to know where they're coming from. Because they're so, they're so unlikable, you know, when, when you watch the documentary series and... Yeah, but then when you read this book, it's like, well, you know, of course you're doing that because of the way you've been brought up and your personal experience is just crazy. But that doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're trying to be a good person. But unfortunately, the rules and the the social construct that you've been given is just not going to allow that. Not only have you been brought up with a lot of bigoted views, but you've been told that everyone else in the world is evil and you are saving them by, by doing what you're doing. So you, you felt like the book really helped you understand why they do what they do or? Exercising a position of trying to understand where people are coming from is is really important because even when a person is just so obviously in the wrong, sometimes you, you just need to try and get in their skin and crawl around a little bit. And I think it's just it's just a story of hope, really. Basically, she, basically the reason why she left is because I think she was picketing a synagogue and a guy who was Jewish came out and said, well, why are you doing this? This is, this is crazy. And she continued to, to kind of shout and be unpleasant. And he, he ended up contacting her back and forth on Twitter and reasoning with her. And not only did she end up leaving the church, but she ended up married to that guy. And I think it's just, you know, that that's the power when you don't just say, you're bad, you're wrong. 
but mm. you but you you say well you know what you're doing is terrible but like there must be a you know there, there must be a redeeming part of you because we're all human beings and yeah I, I just found it incredibly emotional to read we'll just finish by talking briefly about what we're reading at the moment i am reading outliers by malcolm gladwell mm-hmm. um, i've only read a chapter so it's so you don't have any real input from no it's it's early it's early days it's early days but it's good so far it's interesting i have found that this initially when uh, we all sort of went into lockdown i thought oh i'll have loads of time to read and then at first i felt too anxious and, mm-hmm. and too stressed to of really course. concentrate on anything and i sort of tried to read you know lighter stuff i'm now reading adam k's this is gonna hurt yeah which is i felt I try to avoid things about doctors and hospitals because I, I get I get quite squeamish. But I thought it was an important time now to really understand what junior doctors do yeah, and the pressures on the NHS. And he's written these diaries in such an... They're very accessible, but you've also got a lot of footnotes explaining things that I... Um, oh, I might read that after you. Um, it is it is really good. It's Everyone says, oh, it's very light and it's very funny, and it is. But I also... I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's feeling particularly anxious right now uh, because it does focus a lot on sort of NHS cuts and the pressure mm. that doctors are under and mistakes that can be made. So I'd make sure you're in a, in a, in a, in a good place before you read it. Um, but before we go, I just wanted to say every episode, we want to do a shout out to an independent bookstore because particularly at the moment, independent bookstores need our support. We don't go in them at the moment. Don't go in them, obviously, but a lot of them are doing deliveries. So, so Lucy can shout out for the store and I will say don't go. No, no, no. We're, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're supporting them regardless. But right, no, not regardless. You've got to respect the, the lockdown. So um, normally I'm going to ask... Part of the problem. Normally, I'm going to ask my guests to choose a local bookstore. But since we go to the same local bookstore, uh, we'll both talk about this one. And it's Queen's Park Books. Yes, do not go. But you can you can order, order. the books online uh, from Queen's Park Books. But you're better using like Amazon. No, you're not, better. <laughs> <laughs> you're not better using Amazon. Uh, it's very important to support independent bookstores. And it's, it's absolutely fine if you, you, know, you can use libraries, you can use Amazon, but... I would recommend if you can also go to your independent bookstores because it's a completely different shopping experience and also you're supporting local independent businesses who in turn can support local and smaller authors. So mm. we'll get much more diversity. And they have loads of good events there as well, don't they? They do, yes. Yeah. So local authors come in and talk about their books and have events, but not now, obviously. No. So that is the end of the podcast. Oh, do, you should say that this podcast is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. No, it is not. Blue Apron? No. They're all sponsored by Blue Apron. We're not sponsored it? by anyone yet. Oh, mate. <laughs> you just give them free shout outs. Yeah. Well, um, maybe maybe now they'll hear that and they'll, they'll sponsor you. Yeah. What's the other one though? That... I don't think we should say any more. The, the internet, the one that creates a website. Squarespace. Squarespace. That is who I use for my website. There you go. Squarespace. Thank you for giving free Blue apron. Zip recruiter. <laughs> all American ones. Yeah. So I'm going to take this opportunity to say thank you very much, Jonathan, for coming all the way here to our house Pleasure. to record this podcast with me. Um, and uh, goodbye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Comics Books. I hope you enjoyed it. In the show notes, you'll be able to find full listings of all the books we mentioned, as well as links to our featured independent bookshop. Have a great week, reading, laughing, and then reading some more.